It's basically a catchphrase that people say to quell off their existential dread. It's basically like when you feel the PTSD starting to hit you and the anxiety, you say yabba dabba do in order to chase it away. It's their version of serenity now. Flintstones, met the Flintstones, they're a modern Stone family. From the town of Bedrock, they're a page web out of history. Let's ride with the family down the street, through the courtesy of Fritz to fit. When you're with the Flintstones, have a dabba dabba do glory. What if I told you we could meet a modern Stone Age family, a page right out of history? A modern Stone Age family? Did your boomer parents discover TikTok? Oh, sweet Ryan. Let's ride with the family down the street through the courtesy of Fred's Two Feet. Fred's Two Feet? Now that sounds like a Quentin Tarantino fetish movie. Oh, sweet Ryan. We're talking about the Flintstones. The Flintstones? Holy shit! Who would have thought? I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are here to settle the age-old debate of who is cuter, Pebbles or Dino. If you were in a boat and had to save either Pebbles or Dino from drowning, who would you save? I myself would save Dino because I can imagine eating him later. This week, we are reading The Flintstones. The now, Flintstones. You might, be saying, <laughs> you might be saying, what the hell? And... In actuality, and I stand behind this, I think the Flintstones was the best comic of 2016, which many smarter people than me declared. At least that's what all the people that matter think. Did all the people that matter not read anything else in 2016? <laughs> I'm I'm being sarcastic. I did I did I didn't hate it. <laughs> well, we've got a podcast on our hands then. Written by the always subversive Mark Russell and illustrated by Steve Pugh, The Flintstones is a not-so-thinly-veiled commentary on our modern capitalist consumerist society. And slavery, genocide, and animal abuse. But <laughs> old chum. I'm so glad you approve. When you're with The Flintstones, we're going to have a gay old, a gay old, a gay old time. yabba dabba do, motherfuckers. All right, so Ryan, when I read the articles back in 2016 about this comic, I read it. I enjoyed it, and I said if I ever do a comic book podcast with my reporter buddy, I would want to review this. So this has been on my list for a while, but this was your first time reading it. What's your take, man? So there's a lot of that I actually really, really did like about it, and was really surprised that Hanna-Barbera let DC do this to their characters, because it is an incredibly dark take on the Flintstones. And- it is so dark! It's so dark! <laughs> Well, yeah, we've seen kind of dark takes on the Flintstones before, usually like skits from Adult Swim from like Robot Chicken. And I think they kind of played with some of the concepts of the anim- of animal abuse with like in Harvey Birdman. But this is pretty consistent. And for instance, the whole Yabba Dabba Do thing, which usually Fred <laughs> Flintstone screams in joy at the end of each episode. Here, it's basically a catchphrase that people say to uh, quell off their existential dread whenever it sets in. So it's, it's, it's their version of serenity now. Yeah, or it's, it's basically like when you, when you feel the PTSD starting to hit you and the anxiety, you say yabba dabba do in order to chase it away. And I really kind of loved that concept. I loved kind of like the way Russell took a lot of the stuff we love about the Flintstones or the stuff that's iconic about the Flintstones and 
puts like a really dark mirror to it. I, I mean, dark is the only way, but there's moments of joy in it, but dark is the only way to describe this. Like, yeah, the PTSD thing is dead on. Like, I, I didn't realize it as much until the second time I read it, but something, a, a construct they do is... And to be, uh, just for those of you who haven't read it, I, I would highly recommend reading this book. Um, Ryan, I don't know if you will, but it's all of the things are there. So it's Fred and Wilma and Barney, and it's not taking out guns and shit. It's really, let's treat these people like real people living in prehistoric times and let's examine them. And one thing they they really went a little further with, and I read this in an interview with, with the creators, is they decided to make them war veterans and there's there's a lot of talk of that and what was the point of all of this why did we do this what were we even fighting for and that's not the whole thing of the book the whole thing of the book is just it's more i think it's just more a commentary on consumerism and man's kind of like pointless quest for more shit to kind of like fill the void in their soul but it's charming at the same time it's like it, it does it with a wink and a nod but once you see the wink and the nod, you're like, oh, fuck, they're talking about us right now. Yeah. So I actually I, I did like how how Russell kind of recast the Flintstones and kind of brought a lot of modern day anxieties into the picture. And, and actually, a lot of that st- exists in the Flintstones cartoon. I, I, I Obviously, I only watched it when I was a kid, but knowing I was going to be reviewing the Flintstones comic. I kind of I didn't watch full episodes, but I watched clips from the Flintstones cartoon, and there, there's a lot of stuff there that, like, like Fred's anxiety about his job, his overbearing boss, can he provide Barney Rubble? Actually, there's there's like a whole subplot in the cartoon with Barney and Betty unable to conceive, and that takes a huge emotional toll on Barney, where he even contemplates, uh, almost tries, almost does end up killing himself in the really? cartoon. Yeah, he really? he has a boulder. He has a boulder attached to his foot, and he's gonna throw it off off of a bridge into the water. It's done for <laughs> laughs, but the, yeah, the consequences ultimately are oh, Barney's uh, suicidal. So the the cartoon actually has those dark moments, really buried underneath this veneer of a kids' cartoon. And when you're a kid, you totally miss it. It's funny because that. People uh, right, can't get boulder, people right. can't get killed in you growing up with Looney with Looney Tunes, for instance. People don't get killed. You drop a boulder on somebody, they don't get killed. But the implication for Barney is certainly that he is trying to commit. He says goodbye, cruel world, and he's gonna, you know, drown himself. Wow, wow, yeah. So, so, so this is actually bringing a lot of that anxiety to the forefront and making it making what was implicit explicit. I did not know. I'm, I'm surprised you did the research and you went back to the source material. I was curious because it was a different, because the, the Flintstones are so iconic in, in my yeah. mind, in our minds, because the characters are so visible and recognizable and they have these catchphrases and you can recognize them from like two miles away. So I, I, I did kind of want to revisit to an extent, the the Flintstones cartoon, and there's a lot of actual I wouldn't say domestic violence in the Flintstones, <laughs> but threats of domestic violence, which probably well, because it, it was because it was based on the honeymooners. Yes, 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 exactly. So, so, so that's 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 the undertone there, and it was it was again much it, it was very much at the forefront with with Russell's take on it. Well, Gerald, damn it, Ryan, we're not here to talk about the cartoons; we're here to talk about the comic books. Indeed.
One thing I, again, I didn't catch till the second time around, but was or really appreciate till the second time around for the, for reading it for this podcast was the two supporting characters of religion guy, the guy who runs the animalistic church, which they later on convert to the deity of Gerald and science guy, which is basically Carl Sagan. So religion guy and science guy who are trying their best. They have good intentions, but they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And again, it's it's easy to say it's it's not making fun of either science or religion. And again, this whole thing is a thinly veiled commentary on our life, our Western capitalist society. But it is kind of saying they're doing the best they can, guys. Cut them some slack. They, they want to do the right thing. There's like the moment where the religion guy, people like are like, well, I, I don't have time to pray. Can't I just pay you money? And then he's like, okay. And he lets that go too far, right? Or yeah. science guy when he miscalculates the asteroid and it's like just like chaos outside. Like, I don't know. I think that's the other thing. I appreciated these kind of like outsider takes that Fred and the family are kind of dealing with, even with the aliens. Like, it was kind of weird for them to bring the aliens in, but it's like the humans look down on the animals or they're oblivious to the goings on of the animal appliances, which that's another subplot. But then the aliens are oblivious to the dumb humans. And I, I, I just found it very layered in its commentary because of that. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I was feel conflicted about the aliens because I know it's, it's kazoo. It's a great kazoo. So it's kind of like the reimagination, reimagining of that uh, very familiar character. But I do feel like, they but, but not even, but not even him, like alien spring break. That was so good. I, I was kind of iffy on that one, actually. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it set up why Gazoo was there, but I, I actually kind of feel the alien stuff. I actually liked what you said about it. It's They kind of look down on the humans just as the way the humans don't even acknowledge the sentience of the animal appliances, which I definitely want to get to eventually. I, I, I guess like the alien stuff, aside from that, the, the, any, any of the plot lines involving the aliens tended to be a little bit bland for me and not like not altogether that compelling and so i i kind of feel like gazoo would have been better if he were just kind of in the background maybe mm. like a character that fred flintstone occasionally notices and no one else really acknowledges kind of like in the in the cartoon the, yeah. is he is he just a product of their imagination so well, I, well, I by, but, but by but by the end of it it becomes like the kind of macro concluding plot of like okay we're kind of judging humanity are they gonna make it or not and I again it's, well, it's just commentary on is on us. It's like, a, are we gonna make it with all? Of yeah, our I, I mean, I don't, I don't mind Kazoo being that the game warden, being the commenter, almost sort of like, yeah, almost like the watcher from from, from yeah. Marvel. But I, I once when he was an active participant in the plot, I was like, I kind of turned off a little bit because mm. again, the aliens are much less interesting than the world of Bedrock that. Or the way Russell reimagines the world of Bedrock. And anytime we're at the aliens, you're taking us away from that. That's and I actually do think the world of Bedrock is really interesting because it is both cartoony and cre- incredibly dark. And there are these little gags that he has. There like, are gags everywhere. It's so good. Yeah, like, like I mean, from the store names, they have a, a store called Paleontology, obviously a play on like anthropology. Fossil is fossil. 
Go figure. <laughs> but even aside from that, you have, for instance, during the wrestling match, the losing wrestler is picked apart by pterodactyls in, in the kind of like the side <laughs> of the panel. It's, it's a grisly little image that's just kind of off to the side, which I, I thought was <laughs> really good at setting up the sort of world that we that we live in. Another one that I thought was really biting was the the, the middle school, home of the fighting tree people. And the tree people <laughs> are the people that they literally massacred in order to claim the space civilization. Bedrock. Yeah. yeah. That bedrock to claim the space, the the, the space where bedrock, bedrock exists. Bone Depot. Bone Depot. Bone Depot. Yeah. So, so all of the, the world basically was incredibly compelling and interesting. And I think Russell did just a fantastic job world building yeah and it, it's funny so we, we mentioned the the tree people and the lizard people and it's basically bedrock is the first attempt of homo sapien having a civilization with all these gadgets and these like modern amenities and to your point it was at the expense of i believe slaughtering the tree people and then they bring up the lizard people that and it's almost like not quite like george w bush iraq war but it's like they have something we want how do we like get the people into a frothy frenzy to go get them. And they don't do as much with that plot, but it is interesting to for them to continue to juxtapose the what is our modern civilization and where are we coming from? And one of my favorite, probably the most heartwarming episode was the marriage retreat. They talk about Adam and Steve, and it's so funny. It's the same way people protest gay marriage, you have people... So in this like modern civilization of cavemen, the idea of monogamous marriage relationships is a is like something people don't like and they're like we want a sex cave bring back the sex cave monogamy destroy there's literally uh, picket signs monogamy destroys a child deserves several fathers and about a dozen mothers <laughs> keep it polygamous <laughs> and it, it's again it's a thinly veiled kind of commentary on why are we sticking to what always existed why why can that only be the thing we have to move forward and they just be it in gag form or plot form, I felt like every issue wanted to take something apart of our modern era. Yeah, it was actually very episodic because different issues dealt with different topics. Like there was that, as you mentioned, there was the whole issue of of marriage. There's one episode that kind of deals with economics and the capitalist structures that <laughs> that are in place. And the poor teacher keeps wanting to give the lecture, and the teacher's like pushing him out. <laughs> so good. My so where I didn't like the Flintstones or this version Please. of the Flintstones is that the like the cartoon version of the Flintstones it really kind of revolves around the 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 relationship between Fred and Wilma and Barney and Betty and this is very much about the world bedrock the world as it and and, and then kind of comparing it to ours or using it basically no, that's not really, using it as a mirror for for our world. And I mm. feel like in doing that, Russell sometimes, some of the characters were sometimes, were often subsumed. And I know you have Wilma and her, her issues with her mom, and you have and Fred art. and his, yeah, and her art. But, and, but, yeah, so but every, of, everyone, everyone's arc was independent. They didn't interact. Minus a exact, few hijinks here and there. Oh yeah, exactly. Right. What is, what, what is the marriage of Barney and Betty like? What is the marriage of Fred and Wilma like? And you actually see that in the cartoon. That usually those sort of like the 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 marital relationship or the relationship between those people and how they interact with each other is sort of central to the conflict in the cartoon. That actually doesn't really exist at all 
through the entire 12 issue run but, of but here's where, here, here's where, here's where i want to push back on that and again maybe it's at the expense because you can't cram it all in yeah but we we all come into this comic book to your point the flintstones are ubiquitous we all already know the story we all already know the interactions of fred and his best buddy barney and how barney feels about wilma and or oh, whoa <laughs> barney feels about betty whoa and- does Bar- wait, wait wait how does barney <laughs> feel about wilma <laughs> But it's so like we already come into it with all these kind of predisposed notions of these strong, healthy relationships between our four main protagonists. And so in the book, again, it, it gives more or less, well, not so much Betty, but the other three and even the kids, the kids get some really interesting subplots. But everyone has their own independent arc because you already take for granted that they are all in like loving, familiar, friendly relationships. So I didn't need it. I mean, maybe a modern exploration of them. What's interesting, and I'll go ahead and say this on the record. They're all drawn as very attractive people. Like Fred is like a muscle bound, square jawed, good looking dude. Everyone looks good. They don't look cartoony. And that's worth talking to the art of Steve Pugh. Like I could relate to these people because I found them appealing and I wanted to get to know them more, if that makes sense. It wasn't a cartoon for me. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciated that also, the kind of reimagination of these characters as they would look like if they were real, albeit attractive people with slightly odd body proportions, especially for the men. <laughs> it's a cop. But so here's, so I was thinking about that, right? Like, okay, do we really? Obviously, Russell has, he's he's got a goal with this, and it's to kind of show, it's to, it's, the mirror, it's the mirror. to let but yeah, bedrock reflect reflect the world as it is today, and he's clearly less interested in the the relationships between the different characters. And I don't. I, it's, it's it's a little bit unfair to say, hey, he should have written it this way when his intent was to write it another way. But at the same time, I often feel like this is this is my issue with books that have a social agenda or a political agenda is that oftentimes it feels like I'm reading a treatise. And there are times when, for instance, Fred Flintstone will get up and pontificate or say something about, oh, this is how we should treat people, or even the economics guy, right? He shows up and he's like, this is the how the capitalism works and it's all a scam. And yeah, there's some yucks with the teacher being like, go away, go away. But whenever he showed up, I couldn't help thinking, oh, yeah, this is sort of like Russell's college essay on this topic and or, or claude's me, chief of staff <laughs> it, it it yeah it, it felt a little clumsy and it took me out of the the world because suddenly i realized i'm not in the world of bedrock i'm in russell's head and he's trying to tell me something and that 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 always kind of threw me and i feel like a lot of what he, he is trying to reflect in the world could be reflected through the relationships between Fred and Wilma, Betty and Betty and, and Barney, through drama and actual human interaction. And we'd care for these people more if we saw how they interact with each other, what Wilma means to Fred, what Betty means to Barney, and vice versa. And yes, we do get a little bit of that in the marriage chapter, but again, it's isolated to that chapter. So that's my that's my big thing. It's 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 that it it felt very clunky at times when when the writer had a point to make. He was going to, I'm going to make this point. Yeah, and I'm going to bring secondary characters to give you a quick lecture in the context. Yes. I didn't, exactly. I didn't mind it because 
I, I feel like enough gags were pulling me along throughout the comic that I was like, okay, it's lecture time. I knew what was happening. I knew very quickly, probably by the end of the first episode or issue, that you're about to get a lecture. And it's okay because you've kind of sugarcoated it with all the antics and the gags and, and the setup. It's it's like the setup to a joke, except the joke is a commentary and a lesson because you've yeah. been given jokes the whole time on. And so it's a reversal of a joke almost. Actually, I will say that when he does give a lecture, he he does it in a way that's sort of creative and and interesting. So I can't like I'm not going to completely shit on him for that. I, I do feel he was he was creative in doing it. I think he kind of realized what he was doing, and in a way, it, it actually harkens back to those cartoons where it's sort of like, and I learned a I learned the a more, yeah. So that might have been int- an intentional throwback to. I don't actually know if the Flintstones Flintstones cartoons yeah. actually did that, but. It was. A, it's a common trope where you have to have a life lesson in these cartoons or in these these kids programs. Let's talk about the animals, Ryan. Yeah, that. So actually, so kind of related to my point about the the humans not really having uh, believable or interesting interactions with each other, very different from the animals who did. And that was actually where the most human drama and for me the most pathos came from. It's watching these animals who are condemned to be appliances. Oh, the bowling ball. Armadillo's the, the bowling the ball. Cleaner, the vacuum cleaner. That shit was sad. I mean, it's clear that <laughs> most of these animals are totally not down with this shit. And They're they slaves. slaves. They're slaves. They're yeah. slaves. And that was that was re- and then and then you kind of see how they interact with each other. And that was like real So I mean, that was that was making that commentary, but through through actual, I'm going to say human drama, put that in quotation marks because they're animals, but honestly, human emotions. Anthropomorphic, yeah. Yeah, that, that I mean, that was that would that showed okay, you can actually do this commentary by showing the way these people, these characters interact with each other. Did you ever read Animal Farm? I assume you read Animal Farm. I read Animal, yeah, I read Animal Farm. Yeah. Not not, it's been a while though. Yeah, and I, it. It wasn't until we just started having this conversation right now that I started thinking about it. But it's these cute and cuddly animals where it's even even the gag is, oh, that's so funny. An octopus is a dishwasher and a power goat is a lawnmower. And but the and the armadillo is the bowling ball. Like it's the funny gag. And then you pull the veneer back a little. And I don't know if it was commenting on. Here's what's interesting. I don't know if it's commenting on man's kind of historic mistreatment of other civilizations or is it a modern day telling i mean i i genuinely think i'll get on my soapbox for a second the same way we look at like old 60s shows where the doctor's telling the pregnant woman ha 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 just smoke a cigarette it'll make you feel better (laughs) i genuinely feel that's how we are going to look back on the uh, 80s to the 2000s where we ate a lot of meat and never mind the health complications, the the animal cruelty, factory farming, blah, blah, blah. And look, I still eat meat. And we are all complicit in this. And I wonder if that's kind of what it was commenting on. I'm not sure what the commentary was other than it was dark, it had pathos, and it made me feel bad. So, yeah, I don't know if he had an explicit commentary, but what I think he was signaling at is that we have blind spots as just as, as a society, as people, blind spots to other people's suffering that and that we are that, that we are responsible for. 
And whether you can kind of extend that to your iPhone being assembled by slave labor in China, something like that, where it's not or your your H and M clothes, right, mm-hmm. being stitched together by by children. That 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 might be that that was what I at least took away from it, right? Because because they are totally blind to the fact that these animals are sentient, that these animals actually have feelings and emotions. When one of the vacuum cleaner dies. Wilma throws it out and says, don't worry, Fred, it's just a thing. But the vacuum cleaner was actually had was is an elephant and actually had with relationships. Rich, right. Yeah, a pretty rich emotional arc that really kind of affected all of the other well, the bowling ball in particular, which is an armadillo and his friend. So so I, that, that's what that made me think about. It's just the blind spots that we have as we kind of go about our lives and don't realize that how in just going about our lives, we actually impact others in a profoundly negative way. It's a dark right. book, man. It's a dark deep book. sigh, my friend. Deep sigh. And then they won me back with the gags. Like they just kept coming back. Like and again, I think the darkness. It's it's a dark comedy. Again, more dark commentary than dark comedy. But again, the gags kept bringing you back. And there's heartwarming moments specific to the elephant. At some point, they decide to take the bowling ball armadillo to the storage unit, and he run- comes across an old vacuum cleaner and he decides i'm going to take care of you because that's what someone else did for me and there are these moments of warmth and the fact that you're feeling the warmth makes you feel guilty about the reflection that this book kind of has on everything i think that's actually one of the closing moments in the books yeah right and it actually is one of the more conflicting moments in the book for me because i mean as much as that is a moment of grace for these characters they are basically in jail they're basically in solitary confinement and they're just i mean it would have felt false to me if fred flintstone and wilma were like oh my god these are real creatures we should free them and liberate them that wouldn't have felt true but at the same time you do have this moment at the end where that the the bowling ball is put in storage, basically forgotten, just a thing tossed away. And he, he there's only one person he can talk to. And it just kind of ends with everyone, <laughs> all of the human characters at least, just kind of waving at the audience saying, all right, guys, goodbye. So <laughs> I, I I don't know if there's a way for Russell to have reconciled that, right? It I don't does think you're supposed to. I, yeah, you're not I, supposed to. You're supposed to say that last thing is, this is your life. Hey, people of America, people of the world, I just held a mirror up to you. That's kind of how it closes. Like, it's like there isn't supposed to be a resolution unless we resolve it ourselves. And we're not going to. Come on, man. How well, how do you take that very cheerful panel at the end when everyone's kind of waving? Is that satirical? Is it? Sub- yes. Is it, are, are we meant it's- to? Okay. It's a satirical slash middle finger. It's And it's also saying we're never going to... The whole point is this whole thing. It's like literally watching the cast and crew of a play kind of taking a bow. That's what this was. Mm, we yeah. just put on a performance to show you what assholes you are. See ya. I, yeah. Wait, what actually? So actually cause, hang on really didn't... quick, because even, even the page before that goodbye, it's this ongoing commentary from the great gazoo. And you keep showing these commentary i mean i think the only things they really show are they show mr slate having some grace barney just kind of like being the stand-in for all of humanity just kind of going back to the the dumbass motherfuckery of yeah. whatever it is eating thumbs 
it's and it's kind of like at the end the ending montage of any TV show where you just kind of show a couple of flashes of what how these people are going to keep living their lives. The end. It keeps going. So two things I was kind of I was kind of thinking about first with that ending, which is you very cheerful despite the darkness that that happened before. Is when when I was in college, I saw. Did you, are you familiar with the play Edward the Second by by Christopher Marlowe? I am not. Tell me Edward more. Edward II, Edward II was a really weak king. If you saw Braveheart, you see like this really uh, ineffectual. Yeah. yeah, that's him. And he is imprisoned, and eventually somebody is hired to assassinate him in prison. And the way he's assassinated is somebody takes a hot poker and shoves it up his ass, literally, and swirls around his insides. And that it's a horrible way to die. And that's how he's he, that's how he's murdered. And at the end, of, so the play has that. And at the end of the play, it, it kind of like it was. This was at the Globe Theater in London, and this is sort of typical of performances at that time. The the actors would all come out and just start dancing and have like a jolly good to, to jovial music, and that's what happened at the end of Edward the Second. Like I just saw this guy, this this actor, of course, get buggered on stage with a hot poker until he's dead, and then at the end, they're all kind of dancing cheerfully on stage. And so, in a way, <laughs> the Flintstones kind of reminded me of that a little bit. That with that ending, it's like okay, it's it's really dark. Everyone's got PTSD. Bye, everyone. Maybe we'll survive. So that was one thing it made me think of. And the other thing was the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which is a very dark book about where 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 Huck Finn is trying to. It's a book that that that's that's putting under the magnifying glass America's history with slavery, right? For the first two thirds, right, right. And then Tom Sawyer shows up in like the last third, and it just becomes a bunch of boys having fun. And so it's just like, what the fuck, man? Unclear what Mark Twain was doing with that ending of Huck Finn. Like, why do you have this dark book that is really examining how nasty the institution of slavery is? And then at the end, you just have Tom Sawyer come up and it's like, hey, everyone, it's all going to be fun and games now. And there are two theories. One is that... Um, it's just 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 mis misjudgment from from Mark Twain. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was just like I just didn't finish the stupid book, and that was the way he ended it. Other theory, and I think this might be more in line with how you're seeing the Flintstones, Roman, is that Mark Twain knew what he was doing, and he was basically kind of juxtaposing this really jovial ending yes, with yes. this nasty and kind of showing, hey, and this is how you're thinking about it. You're 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 going about your happy life and and you know nah, I'm gonna give go, you this go have fun. I, yeah, I just well, gave I mean, you all this reflection. Go back to watching your fucking TV, you asshole. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so in a way, it feels like Flintstones kind of is almost in that vein with the way with the way it ends, and even kind of throughout, right, with this mix of cartoony gags with stuff that is actually really really heavy. Yeah. Have you have you read anything else by Mark Russell? I'm curious. No, I I looked him up on uh, I did the Google on him, and he looks like he has a book called uh, "God Is Disappointed in You," which looks <laughs> amazing, um, and illustrated by a New Yorker cartoonist. So I'm probably gonna pick that one up. I'm just I'm just I, the guys, I like, a, that that one's not on I, not on my radar. I wouldn't mind bringing that back to quarantine comics, but there he basically did a bunch of throwback comics. He did a Snagglepuss comic, which I have not read. I just requested from the library. He did a Perez comic which was quite good that i oh, read wow uh, prez uh, is in the 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 yeah. the teenage president that we alluded that that showed up in sandman briefly yes absolutely oh, wow. so a reboot of prez he did a reboot of 
the Wonder Twins, which has just as much. It's more superheroes in the DC universe. Shape power of Wonder Twins power activate. But there is some like dark subplots going on of like, oh, we actually could make the world better, but we choose not to. Like, it's not as in your face as Flintstones is. I think Flintstones is the most in your face Mark Russell that I've read. But he has a subversive streak through everything he writes. And again, I've only read his like retro reboot shit. So I'm curious about that other book that you mentioned. That could be good. How, how do you think this compares? Because I'm thinking of the other book that we reviewed, which is basically taking a kid's comic and making it very, very dark and turning it into adult subject matter. Uh, oh, Marvel you're talking about now. you're talking about Uzumaki. Yes. <laughs> Uzumaki. I always talk about Uzumaki. We'll get another. We'll, listeners, we'll get another Junji Ito book in here shortly. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Marvel Man specifically? Yeah, I'm just curious because that's the most direct comparison of the when you think about all of the books that we've reviewed on on this show. I mean, I don't know if I it's it's apples and oranges to me, like Alan, not, not just saying that no one can be Alan Moore, but like Marvel Man was trying to say, let's actually continue from the history of this thing and do a part two with the darker twist. This was. It wasn't that this wasn't part two to the cartoons. This was a reimagining. And I don't think Marvel Man was a reimagining now. I guess if that that's kind of a literal answer, maybe what you're really asking is, how do you feel about really smart writers trying to tell a darker, more subversive tale with a, an innocent subject matter? I mean, what are you asking, Ryan, I guess? The first one, actually. Um, <laughs> well, then, the fir- then the first one is, it's fine. It's I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I Do I like... <sighs> I'm probably going to say something that's going to get me in trouble. Nah, fuck it. I, I stand by it. I actually like the Flintstones more than Marvel Man. That's fair. That's, yeah. I, I, for, I, for me, I was just, I was just kind of, kind. Of, it was just interesting to see what they were interrogating, right? Mm-hmm. With with this one. Wait, what was, was what was what was Marvel Man interrogating? It wasn't. So it's, that's the difference, right? This yeah, one is very it, much about it. about the society, of the world. Looking, it was it was looking at Bedrock, and we talked about this before mirror to our society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But he was definitely interested, most interested in in this in this world building aspect of bedrock. Alan Moore is less interested in the world building. I mean it's there, but he's really kind of interested in the character, like what happens to these to to a normal person when they are right. given godlike powers. And he definitely takes it as far as he can with uh, the kid miracle man villain what does it say about humanity when juxtaposed against your kind of ideal self your superhuman self so it was it's interesting to me as a point of contrast really because they're very they're interested in very very different things alan moore is interested in the psychology of these characters and mark russell is actually i mean he i mean he he the ptsd all that stuff shows up but that feels more like backdrop to this world he's interested in this world and the cost of building this world which I guess actually Alan Moore does bring up towards the end of Marvel Man. So who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe my thesis is like, well, this. but what, what Marvel Man does, which is different, is it, it accelerates into the future. And this does not. This is like, this is your life. Get used to it. And with a mirror, right? Marvel Man is like, this is what could happen. This is how good we could have it if we're willing to go through this and make these sacrifices. And so it's, again, even very different plot devices, I guess that's what I'd say. I just I genuinely feel like they're apples and oranges. But I think and again, I really enjoy reading Alan Moore. I feel like sometimes I have to work 
hard to enjoy Alan Moore and it's worth it. It's very much. It's like eating your vegetables. But with this, it felt like candy. It was just hmm. like even with the odd lecture every now and again in Flintstones. It it it's kind of like the movie Knives Out. I was just along for the ride and I got something out of it along the way. I felt I was along for the ride. I had a lot of fun and I felt smarter at the end of it. And that's kind of what Flintstones made me feel like versus Alan Moore. is like, I've really got to chew and stew on this thing. And I've got to that let it actually, sit with that, me. That, that makes sense. I mean, Alan Moore, he, he really likes his, I don't want to say purple prose, but I mean, he, sometimes he goes into like novel territory, right? Yeah. Um, oh my God. Very, he can be, and he can be very, <laughs> Which very. It's been, it's been announced that he's been uh, commissioned to write a bunch of novels. Now he signed with someone to write novels. Oh, really? This, yeah. This week uh, is news I saw. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if it'll be any good. I mean, I like his comic stuff, but I can see, I can, I can imagine his prose. This isn't quarantine. This is not quarantine novels. This is not vaccinated <laughs> novels. I'm sorry, Ryan. Well, they haven't been written yet, so that's okay. But kind of to your second point, I was, I am kind of curious what you think. What do you think about these kind of darker takes on our favorite childhood memories? In the in the review, the article I sent, if I remember, I'll put it in the show notes, where Box interviews the two creators of this. That's what everyone expected. Oh, another dark take on a beloved childhood thing. And that's not what this was. I mean, it was, but it left in other hands it would have been much more gimmicky and i didn't find it gimmicky i found this very honest i felt this found this very earnest and heartfelt i again you didn't feel the characters maybe because they didn't play enough with each other but like i already knew the characters i already had a warm place in my heart for wilma and fred and barney and pebbles so i mean literally the only character and they the only character they really made a gag of was Dino, which was great. Like, yeah. Like, like, who the fuck cares about Dino? Fuck that guy. That's effectively what this book did. So I didn't feel like a gimmicky kind of take. It was it was left well in the hands of him. And I can't I didn't read the rest of like the DC Hanna-Barbera universe. There was a bunch of other writers. I believe Jeff Smith might have been one of the people who took a take on something. So, yeah, I don't know, man. That's actually a really good point, though, that that this is really building off of your familiarity with the Flintstones characters, their iconography and completely subverting it. And uh, yeah, that actually, that actually gives the Flintstones a lot of its, of its power, I think, and a lot of its impact because it's sort of, it's characters that you think seen in a completely different way. So Ryan, I really only have one more question that I need to ask you. And what question would that be? What are we reading next week? Well, next week we are going to be reading a comic that has been 35 years in the making. We are going to be reading Monsters, the new release by Barry Windsor Smith. And you are probably familiar with Barry Windsor Smith. He is a longtime comics illustrator known for his fantasy work, particularly in Conan, the Barbarian. But this book is, it's basically about a kid who is picked up in an army US army recruitment office and he is well he's he's experimented on it is going to be a probably another very dark trip <laughs> but me rumen that's the sort of stuff that i absolutely live for and that's next week on quarantine comics reviewing a comic that's literally been reviewed on NPR so we're classing it up
We all every time we open a can of beer ramen for the show, we I view I think of it as us classing it up. <laughs> classing it up with Ramen and Ryan. That's our next podcast. All right. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what I got wrong at qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. <laughs>